This is the Pro-AV Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on market scale. Nowadays, we put a lot of AV on the ones and zeros. They want more features, but they want to see less hardware. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Market Scale Pro AV Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And today I have the pleasure of welcoming Yanis Kabolis. He's the Director of Technical Innovation for Electrosonic, as well as Andy Betwinis. He's the Design Department Supervisor for Electrosonic. And both of them are coming on to dig into a pretty general topic, which is how AV and IT integrate. And it might sound general, but there's so much to unpack there, because really what we're looking at is how is smart design and how are smart built environments guiding the future of the industry and how is it really putting the emphasis on the experience not only for the end user but also for the people integrating these designs and manufacturing these products so Yanis welcome to the podcast how are you doing today doing fantastic thank you Daniel for having us absolutely and Andy also same to you how are you doing today uh, having a good day and and happy to be here. Yeah, well, I'm excited to dive in. I say we just get right to the content. So to start off, uh, I think it's important to just understand more about smart design and smart built environments because I think they're the future of our cities, our workplaces, our homes. And what really makes them interesting is that it's not just one technology, right? We're not just talking about, oh, LED 4K displays are really popping off. No, we're talking about the entire design process and the entire environment, which often means more than just one technology. It's that combination and that interweaving of several that's really elevating the industry. So I wanted to ask, how do you both think that this interweaving of technology is elevating AV design and encouraging unparalleled collaboration? The main thing behind a smart design and uh, uh, the way uh, of uh, utilizing electronics to control environments uh, dates back a few decades, actually. Um, it's beyond the box, as you said, it's beyond the spec. Uh, it has to do with the experience. And our day-to-day -day interaction, both um, at workplace and with friends and with home, more and more um, utilizes our smartphones, other kind of devices that uh, actually deliver that exact thing, an experience. Uh, so when we are uh, integrating systems, when we're integrating the uh, building uh, uh, base building uh, controls uh, along with um, auxiliary systems such as uh, uh, security systems etc and uh, audiovisual uh, IT and so forth we deliver a coherent workflow workflow of your life cycle for that day and the activities that you're going to have so <clears throat> What it does, it creates a lot of opportunities, um, not just uh, uh, to integrate more and more devices, but it creates opportunities to weave out um, any um, information that is irrelevant to the specific function that you're trying to perform, which can be as simple as turning on a light or setting the right temperature in a room or communicating with a coworker or collaborating on, on, a, on a project. Right, basically it's making the final end product or end design 
more cohesive and really more all-encompassing. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. So from, you know, the, the practical applications that we see in creating entertainment-based systems in a museum or theme park is really how this ITAV convergence has made our life easier with so much of the pro audio equipment becoming essentially network appliances. It gives us one platform of communication. So we've, we've sort of have become more network designers than where we all started, which was, you know, playing guitar in the garage and, and like it to, to tinker with, with toys. Um, so that makes life real that makes our design lives easier because all the manufacturers are looking that way and trying to find you know common platforms to talk on and as Giannis was saying then that for us expands into building information management systems um and you know how we talk with in a theater environment just making it easy to talk to the lighting control systems and and then the HVAC systems and doing all of this to bring, you know, everything under one umbrella. And that's been a good thing. And have you found that this emphasis for complete solutions with uh, several different kinds of integrated technologies has encouraged more collaboration between different industries um, or at least in collaboration in educating AV professionals to expand their skill set? I think it's it's more the latter. We expand our skill set. Um, in design, we might understand that we know X, Y, and Z can do this, that, and the other thing. And we have groups of people that are actually integrators and programmers that get out in the field and they're fighting it they're and they're the ones that are back with the manufacturers and saying you said you would speak this protocol but you're not or you know finding the bugs and the errors and the collaboration then comes mostly from us is having to work with facility IT groups who came from a different world they're equally as techie geeky we always use the word in the polite manner um, in their world. And what we're seeing, I think, you know, five or six years ago, they were more hesitant about us saying, here, we have this, you know, audio over Ethernet technology and we want, you know, we're building a network and we want to connect to your network and they're all panicked. And they've come to come around and they've come to understand it. And now we'll walk into projects and they say, we just want you to plug all of your stuff into our switches. And then we have the conversations about, you know, segmenting the networks and creating, you know, little pockets for, you know, the video side of things that are going over the network and then the audio things that are going over the network and all of that. So this convergence has brought those two worlds together. And Daniel, the the educational part that you talked about is um, yes, both on the AV industry, but also on the other, um, uh, you know, subsystems and uh, professional uh, adjacent uh, uh, industries to ours. Uh, because what happens, I think, at the bottom line is all this enables uh, the vision to be more approachable. Um, uh, things don't necessarily. Uh, are put together in as of a vacuum as they used to be. Uh, 
the AV industry had a very specific way around control systems five, ten years ago. Uh, so did the lighting systems, so did the, uh, the uh, base building uh, uh, management systems, uh, even security. And now you see uh, this collaboration that can be as, um, as anecdotal as uh, I have a security system that is overlooking a specific hallway. Well, if I count, let's say, five or 50 people making a right turn, if I know that's where the bathrooms are, I should be sending a note to custodial to say, hey, uh, you might want to go and check if everything is clean. So under all this umbrella, the again, the experience is and the delivery of the dream of the project is there. So another side of this, obviously, is bringing this technology to AV professionals, though useful and though the end design is more comprehensive, there are some hiccups. There are learning curves. So how is this interweaving of technology making the design process more challenging in some regards? And what do you both see as often the biggest missed opportunity or pitfall when we're transitioning the professionals over to this more, you know, smart design, smart build environment side of the industry, as well as focusing on the experience? The pitfalls obviously become, uh, obviously uh, come to fruition because uh, there is a greater opportunity both from the integrator side but also on the vendor side, the manufacturers. So if I have a new protocol, if I have a new way of communicating, if I have a new way of extending one type of a signal, everybody is going to try to jump on that and try to deliver a system. And uh, in, uh, in many times when you're trying to push the envelope, uh, you will have early adapters. And early adapters, as we know from history in technology, uh, they pay a steep price for ownership, but also are the ones that have um, uh, the biggest uh, exposure to all those uh, mishaps uh, or uh, things that did not work the way they were planned to. Uh, the way we go around that, and this is something that Andy and I have uh, promoted quite a bit, um, is to actually do test uh, all the equipment in your facility. Uh, check, uh, not if they just come on and off, but actually check to see if the, if the um, functionality that you were planning and you have on your scope of work uh, to deliver is actually something that um, uh, can be done uh, by the, these exact uh, products being deployed in the fashion you have them designed. Um, Andy, do you want to add? Uh... Well, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. And in, it's in this sense of, I, I would say, the biggest pitfalls are always... A manufacturer may come to us and say, we've developed this and you can do this now. And we all look at it and go, we want more. And can we do more? And pushing the envelope until their new technology or their new protocol breaks. And then we have to rely on them to fix it. And this comes from our clients. Our clients always want more, 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 more. Mm -hmm. I think Electrosonic and our design consulting group within Electrosonic is in a fortunate position that we have an extensive integration department who works in conjunction with us and independently of us. So 
we may design something, they're in charge of implementing it, and they will come back and say, this didn't work, or this does work, or we might bring a new idea to them, and they'll be, we tried that on this other project, and here's the pitfalls that we had. So we get to learn a lot, and that makes it easy for us to then communicate to our clients' facilities, especially when we're back to ATIV convergence and people who are protective of their own territory. Um, so we know what what problems have experienced in the past, and we can leverage manufacturers to help solve their own problems in their equipment when we're trying to ask it to do just a little bit more than they ever imagined as well. So how do you see this emphasis on experience really drive innovation forward in AV design? And when I say experience, I think there's two sides of the table. You obviously have your end user experience or your guest experience, which obviously varies per project because you might have a more consumer-focused um, guest, you might have a more B2B guest, right, or, or end user where, you know, you're providing something for someone who's checking into a hotel or an amusement park or you're providing something for someone uh, to be around every day in their office. And both of those have very different end goals. But we also have that other side of the experience, which is the experience of the professional, whether it's in the design process, in the manufacturing process, or in the installation process. How do you see this emphasis on experience both within the industry and, you know, the external pressures for better experience drive innovation forward for AV? We get driven forward when we're at the beginning of a project, what we call either concept phase or blue sky charrettes. And these may be with the owner and a creative design entity who brings us on board. And what happens is they're all waving their fingers in the air and putting out their big ideas. And we want to do this and this, and we want it to be huge. And we want to have all these kind of things happen. And we're kind of sitting there biting our lips going, it's really hard to defy the laws of physics and make these things happen. And that pushes us to go back and find that solution for them. You know, we can't sit there and just tell a client, no, you can't do that. We have to say... That's a really interesting idea. We've tried things in this manner. Let us go sit back and do some research and do that. And then, of course, that becomes the balance that we have to do. It becomes a political balance at that point because there is practical things that are in consideration um, from buildings, from you know what technology really can do versus your imagination. And... The real bottom line is what can you afford to do? Um, so that's where people's expectations have to be managed and get tempered. And that leads us to finding solutions that are really creative that say, well, you know what? They wanted to do this, but you can't really do that. But we can do this. And man, it, at the end of the day, it looks really good. And that guest experience that comes in there, they're just wowed because they are equally the the... A creative design group, can, in a sense, can be lay people in terms of technology, but they have really great creative ideas. So when, when we can fulfill that and put that in front of that, the guest that's paying that ticket that goes in there, that's the exciting part of it. You really accomplish something then when people's jaws drop at these huge, 
you know, projection walls or right. massive video things. So, would you say also that it's um, it's something that is the evolution of the collaboration among all uh, teams involved in the project, and uh, the vendors themselves, the manufacturers, are also a team. If uh, we get into something that really uh, is one of a kind, and it's a, and I don't mean one of a kind because the hardware uh, is just um, uh, has specs that uh, uh, is reaching a new high, and the specs have never been met. But it could be the way the application of the uh, mm -hmm. actually needs to be put together, um, and in those cases, I think again. Uh, we have you have to work with all the teams together, but you have to involve also the vendors. You have to bring them in. You might have to put them at an NDA, which we do very often, um, uh, and um, uh, then try to elaborate on how you can achieve that specialty functionality on the project. While you're doing that, though, having your own experience within those environments that's when you're actually going to judge and say, you know what, I know that the topology and the deployment that you are suggesting with your technology could actually deliver the function we want, but this might be put in a location where um, the owners might not have AV specialists. So that's when, um, you know, what Andy was talking about is where we actually look everything from the in a more pragmatic, um, uh, uh, with more pragmatic uh, optics, and we're like, okay, well, uh, you might be able to have a team that does all that, but if we have remote supervision, then maybe a professional AV vendor can help you troubleshoot whenever you have issues. So, uh, a few a few angles on that. No, and I mean, I feel like it's forcing industry professionals to adapt but it's also weeding out some of the the small fish right and not necessarily the smaller companies per se but really the people that aren't approaching the industry from that that more creative uh more all-encompassing mindset it's really forcing those professionals whether at the integration level or i mean ceos of of large manufacturing or um distribution companies to really rethink how they deliver their products and what kind of projects they want to take on or encourage from some of their longer lasting clients. Uh, it's definitely a great time to be in the industry, if not just a, a transitional and exciting time. Absolutely. I agree 100%. I mean, who would have thought five years ago that there will be literally hundreds of thousands of um Wi-Fi high-voltage relays that need to be bought for $30 each, and a person can actually install it in their own home so right. they can control lights. So we've been talking pretty generally about the experience and about how it's changing the industry. I think to get a real sense for how the experience is changing the industry for the professionals and the end users, we need to break down one of y'all's favorite projects you've worked on. So what would you say is one that really encapsulates this whole idea of innovation driven by the experience? And how did each aspect of this project not only really emphasize that you need to have a true understanding of the tech to make it work, but then also really encourage that creativity. Yes. So um, 
of course, certain things, certain aspects of the project since it was completed have uh, gone further out and we are able to do a lot more things than we used to. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that um, uh, uh, creating a rich uh, video and audio presentation within a 70-foot sphere that resembles uh, our planet, the daily planet, the Earth, uh, that gets intersected by all the floors of the museum. Um, and you don't have doors to close, so you have noise management, you have light pollution, um, and then you need to provide to the researchers their ability to daily go and update libraries of um, content, uh, and then the content be able to be pulled up uh, not only as part of the ambient mode, but during the didactic, the presentation mode, when the various researchers go in and address crowds, uh, or when the Daily Planet uh, becomes actually a green sc screen, so the uh, uh, weather, uh, live from the Daily Planet, the weatherman can actually show from no other live feeds of uh, uh, the weather patterns coming in. All those were things that were put on the table for us, and we had to solve issues both in terms of technically how we can move all this data, how we can have the servers ingest um, uh, many, many, many Ks of uh, uh, content and then or movies and be able to play them back and deal with, uh, you know, the uh, perceived brightness and the perceived contrast in an open, relatively open environment. Those were very, very big challenges. And um, again, to resolve that, it was the collaboration with the content producers, with the lighting designer, the theatrical lighting designers, the uh, projection specialists, um, the manufacturers, and what they could provide to us at the time in terms of being able to turn on and off on the fly blending abilities of the projector so we can create soft edges and all these sort of things so we can blend with the ambient light or the uh, forced theatrical light and then of course the audio portion um, uh, a sphere obviously is not a great environment for producing audio tracks and then you add all those uh, floors in there and that becomes uh, the biggest sour you have ever uh, sang a song in so uh, this is this is I think was uh, uh, the epitome of uh, working together with everyone including the architects so they can understand uh, what the needs were from the audiovisual side um, so we can deliver what what they wanted what the client wanted and it came out wonderfully and if you visit Raleigh uh, uh, North Carolina I recommend you go and uh, visit the Nature Research Center and uh, see a presentation at the Daily Planet. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty incredible when you start to mix all that technology together and in an environment that's meant to interact perfectly with each each aspect of that technology, you really have to take into consideration visual, acoustic design, network design, and it, it can probably get a little overwhelming at times, but it probably encourages even better you know, pre-production, for lack of a better term, um, on those design documents and um, just between the professionals. Have you seen 
a surge in better planning to really assist in executing on these smart design and smart built environments? Yes, and that's it, it, it really comes down to that thing of just every year as technology advances, and then it's our own personal experience to come to the kickoff meeting at a project and just know what works and what doesn't work. Um, and I actually wanted to, like, pointing out in kind of this, so historically there's two projects of mine that I worked on that um, really sort of illustrate these differences in approaches to me. One was, was a human rights museum, and the other one was called a civil rights museum. Um, the Human Rights Museum had a, a really sophisticated technical staff, and they wanted the true convergence of AV over IT, and they designed the content management systems that sat on their network, and then we designed the bits and pieces, the computers and video players that would pull that content from this system and deliver it out to the various projectors and displays and audio systems throughout this museum. And it was really quite sophisticated in what they wanted to do so that media producers could be constantly updating, remotely updating bits and pieces. And that really kept their museum presentations fresh because their goal was this is not a history museum, this is a current life museum. So all of their exhibits got refreshed very often, partly to encourage people to keep returning to it. And this really worked. In contrast, we had this smaller civil rights museum, and this was a retrofit upgrade to an existing facility where you walk into it and their biggest complaint was, well, somebody has to walk around and turn on this projector with the remote and and <laughs> go and turn on this TV and things that broke down that then weren't ever replaced. And what we were able to do there was leverage the experience from the Human Rights Museum and say, we're going to create this centralized control system. We'll design the network bits to it. And give you this ability of, you know, you don't have a technical staff, but what you have are um, volunteer docents, and you could just make this whole thing with the same basic control system, you have one button to push. And it that solved all their problems. And then, because it was a sophisticated control system with remote access, then they could enter into contracts with their AV integrator that says, you know, we have a problem over here, what's going on? And that allows that AV integrator to, you know, jack into the system and drill down and go, oh, well, your projector is failing because we see these error codes on it. And, or as simple as sending an email to their facilities manager that says, it, in two weeks, you need to order lamps for that projector because they're going to die or they've been on so many hours. And that really helped them. So the, this contrast of one museum with a really sophisticated technical support staff and another one without it. And we actually were able to address both of their concerns in very similar manner 
and just make it easy for them to manage their their facility day to day. And that that's what's really been good about this AVIT convergence kind of thing and smart technologies letting all this stuff happen. And it only gets better. These projects were all over five or six years ago. And what we can do now is even, you know, tenfold of that. Right. And I mean, what I hear from that is you're not just focusing on delivering cool technology or technology that's going to blow people away, though that, you know, comes subsequently with better pre-production on the entire project. But, you know, I think what I'm really getting from this is you focus on the end goal and you focus on solving the problem for the client. And when you do that, the entire smart design and smart built environment conversation and and the entire conversation around we need to deliver an experience well it just comes naturally because you're already focusing on the end goal and everything is just a means to that end goal instead of getting caught up in each individual piece of technology and in getting lost in the pixel pitch of said led screen or the bandwidth of said network no they all work together to deliver the one end goal experience exactly that that's that's exactly it and the things that that some of the technologies offered us now you know the um using rfid for tracking guests you know the whole disney magic band system and what they've developed and how they've pushed it through and now it filters down into the projects that aren't at that level but we can have a space and everybody that buys a ticket that could be an RFID embedded ticket. If they keep it in their pocket, they can walk up to displays and it knows who they are and it can, you know, put their name on the thing. You, you said, what's that experience of corporate lobby things? Uh, we've done those things where exactly that. And just, just knowing that somebody has issued their RFID before they come to visit your highly secure campus, but they walk into your public lobby and there you go, it, it says... You know, welcome Daniel Litwin, you know, uh, come on in and, and see the receptionist, right? Because Right. So maybe a little freaky at first, but actually kind of cool once you get used to it. Right. So, yep. you know, think of that in museum spaces where you're just walking around. Uh, one of the big things that people have always done with that is, you know, you've registered your um, email address with your ticket. And if you're whether you're wearing a, a wristband or it's it's a paper embedded ticket if you are at a um an, a particular exhibit and you've maybe played with a few buttons and done a few things it, it can register oh you had an interest in this and it will just automatically email you links to um do deeper dives when you leave the museum you know so you can go home and do this as opposed to you have to manually enter in your email on the touchscreen, which was really cool when we did that five years ago. Today, yeah. it will just know that, hey, Giannis really was really interested in, you know, this uh, physics on, on Mars and how it's different from Earth. And, you know, and then all of a sudden he'll get all these articles or, you know, further things when he gets home and can and can research on his own. So. That's what technology has really done for expanding um, the, that guest experience. And on the other on the other side, the facility gets curatorial data. 
So it helps them understand, oh, you know what? Um, maybe we need to expand our collection of X, Y, Z, whatever it is, because there is a greater interest. Um, uh, that can lead to additional funding. And at the end, again, even again, a better guest experience. So Andy, Yanis, just to wrap things up, I think let's bring the conversation back to the professional. Um, you know, I, I think we need to really look at how this impacts them from a really holistic point of view. So I want to ask you, and it's just kind of a generic question, but I think there's a lot to unpack, is why does this matter to the industry? You know, why should AV professionals care that their work and the technology that fuels it is being guided by the experience instead of by the specs of the technology or by the sheer marvels of the solutions they're providing? Because they'll get left behind in the dust, you know. You you can't just sell technology for technology's sake to a client that can't afford it. Um, and you have to be smart enough to accept how technology is changing so you can respond to your clients and, and define what they can afford and still deliver a wow factor to them and to their their clients, which are the paying guests. On the experience side... We all know, you know, by the time you're a Navy professional, you learn how the various devices operate. Uh, you learn and you have an understanding of where you can utilize them. But there is a higher level of learning, which is understanding what the need is, the end goal is, as you mentioned uh, earlier, Daniel. And on the way, you will, since you know the rules, Maybe there are a few that you can knowingly break so you can create that magic. I love it. Well, Yanis, Andy, I really want to thank you both for joining us on the podcast and walking us through this journey of the AV industry adapting to and thriving in this experience-based era. Um, I know I've felt it just speaking to so many different industry professionals and even just in the more technical conversations about how pixel pitch is getting thinner and how that's driving certain prices of products up, et cetera. The conversation always wraps back around to, well, you know, what really matters is the application for this product. That's why the tighter pixel pitch matters. Oh, what really matters is the kind of markets we're able to break into now. So it's just an exciting time for the industry, I think, because everyone's focus is shifting away from the technology and is really looking at the tech as more of a means to an end instead of the end. So thank you so much, both of you, for joining me on the podcast, giving me your insight. Uh, I know our audience definitely learned a lot from this, and I'm looking forward to getting you both back on soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Daniel, for the opportunity. I appreciate all your work. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's podcast. And if you like what you heard and would like to listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. And make sure to leave a rating and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time. <laughs>